30 podcast. So if you're like me growing up, you probably had something called the tongues of angels. And you've been wondering, what is the tongues of angels? And should I be speaking the tongues of angels? Or the tongues I speak, are they tongues of angels? What is tongues of angels? Is there such a thing as tongues of angels? Well, let's find out. season we are looking at how to develop a framework for evaluating what you believe and what you know or hold to be true if you hear something from the bible how can you tell if this is truth or is error you need to be able to do that and that's what we are doing building these pieces these building blocks to help us to be able to evaluate truth from error and we've looked at a few things we looked at um, the fact that in hebrews 1 God, the Bible says that in the past, God spoke to us, to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And last week, we looked at the many times, the different times of the Bible and why understanding the different time periods of the Bible is essential to our understanding. Today, we are looking at the various ways that God spoke and why understanding that is also essential to our understanding of the text. So we are going to look at three portions of the Bible, the three categories. This is not exhaustive. We are just going to look at the three. We are picking three writing styles in the Bible and we are going to look at also three literary devices in the Bible used. There are so many writing styles there are so many literary devices literary devices are about 20 or more but we're just going to pick three of each that normally tend to lead to error or misunderstanding them can also lead to misunderstanding what is being said so starting with the writing styles we have what we call the prophetic literature now in the bible the books of the bible there are so many books of the Bible, but they are all not written the same way. And it's important that we understand. There are some books that are historical books, like you have First Chronicles, First Kings, Second Samuel. These are historical books, Nehemiah, and all that. And you have other books that are books of poetry, like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and all that. You have to understand the differences. So we are looking at the prophetic literature. You have things like Daniel, Amos, Joel, Jeremiah, and all those books. And what was the style? In, in, in these prophetic books, God is, these give account of God's messengers and the message they delivered to the people. Remember last week we talked about how God sent various prophets to the kings and the people of Israel, warning them of the things that um, we, they were doing. And if they didn't repent, 
God was going to punish them. And they didn't eventually repent, so God did punish them. And so the prophetic books are normally in two ways. We call them like woes and blessings. God normally giving them woes or um, rebuking or um, instructing them on things they are supposed to do and then blessings for if they do those things. That's what this will happen. So that's how the prophets spoke. Normally, either in terms of foretelling, predicting what will happen, imminent disaster, and all that, or foretelling that is reproof and instruction. Most of their work was based on foretelling, speaking truth to power, and telling them that what they are doing is wrong and all of that. So you have to have that at the back of your mind when you're reading the prophetic books and know what the prophets are trying to do in the way they speak and how they speak to the people it's very important in our understanding the next one we are looking at is the gospels and how they are written the gospels and acts they are written basically well the gospels especially are written to tell us the person and work of christ and basically to help the reader get to know jesus so they are telling us about his history his, his the works he did the things he said and all of those things they're just it's just a narration of what happened that's very important to understand that some things happen there where they are telling us they happen they're not necessarily telling us why or they are not necessarily instructive in innocent they're just telling us that these things happen of course there are some instructions there but sometimes they are just narrations and so you have to look at them the fact that you see something happening doesn't necessarily mean it's an instruction so you have to be careful. The same with the book of Acts. They do. They did a lot of things in Acts that was just a report of the apostles did this or this person did that and all those things. And you, you may look at them and for you to be able to decide or determine if this is instructive. They did this, so should we do it? You need further and better particulars to be able to come to that conclusion. Just because they did it this way doesn't mean we have to do it that way. You need more instructions or more evidence to be able to make that conclusion when you're reading those books but they are very good in terms of helping us understand what happened and then you have the, the third one we are looking at is the epistles these are the letters so you have things like um, Ephesians, Galatians, um, Timothy, um, First John and all, all those books these books are instructive in nature so they are written normally in response to something happening and they write to say okay ex- they explain why something is and what's supposed to be what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do so for example we take the book of romans where it's written to the church in rome where there's division between the jews and the gentiles in the church and paul is trying to explain to them how salvation works and the fact that all of them together belong to the body of christ and there should be no division so paul is in, in, in trying to solve that problem teaches them different things about salvation and gives them different instructions on how they're supposed to live together and all those things so those are things that affect us we can look at that and say okay this is what the, the gentile church or the jew and gentile church was supposed to do what are the things we can apply and also do what are the instructions that apply to us so that's how we we look at the epistles uh, when we are studying them also because they are letters when you are reading them you know that it starts from the beginning and it has there's a point being made throughout the book so you in order to get what is being said it's 
helpful to read the whole book to get the point that was started all the way to the conclusion of the matter. It's very, very important in our understanding. So those are the three, the prophetic literature, the gospels and art, and then the epistles. Now let's look at the other side, which is the literary devices that are employed in the Bible. So for example, the first one I picked is allegory, because allegory is one of the devices that tend to lead us to error. Um, allegory basically means using a picture, a picture that can be interpreted to reveal either a hidden meaning or a moral lesson or something like that. So for example, the story about um, a farmer and um, the, the, the vineyard, um, the story in Mark 12, 1 to 11, when Jesus talks about Jesus gives the parable about a, a man who planted a vineyard and the farmers uh, beat the, the, the slaves that the, the man sent to go and collect his portion from them. Jesus was using this story. This is Mark 12, 1 to 11. Jesus was using this story to talk to the Jewish leadership or the, the Jews basically about how they've mistreated the prophets the past and how they've killed the prophet so although he's talking about a farmer and he's talking about uh, tenants and all that he is really using that to mask what he's actually saying he's saying something more than what he's saying and so that is what an allegory does now the problem with allegories is that most people tend to read a lot of stories and just make them allegories not all the stories in the bible parables and all of that are allegories so for example you can't just take any story and say, oh, this is an allegory for that. Or Jesus, Jesus gives some story and he says it's an allegory. Or sometimes people take a, a, a completely different story, like um, the story of Abraham and Melchizedek. And just convert that whole story into an allegory and say, well, Melchizedek means this and Abraham means that and all of that. You can't do that. The Bible is not treating that story as an allegory. So you don't treat that story as an allegory. Otherwise, you will make a lot of error if you if you start treating and we do that a lot we take a story in the bible and then start to make it represent anything we want to to represent and that's if the bible doesn't do that you you run the risk of um running into error if you start picking any story and converting it into an allegory so that's something you have to be careful with the next one is um, a big word anthropomorphism Anthropomorphism is a figure of speech which um, we take a human character and apply to God. So, for example, in Exodus 33:23, it says that, Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you will not see. So, this is talking about God in a human sense talking about body parts my hand my back my face all of that it's what we call anthropomorphism it's not that god is having like a literal hand and a literal face but he god is speaking in in terms that we can relate to so if you don't understand this and you think god is talking about a literal hand and he's going to actually show his face and all of that you may misunderstand or you may develop a, a wrong impression about God or a wrong mental image about God. Now another example is Psalm 130 verse 2 or Zechariah 2 8 says he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. So again it's not talking about 
the eye of God specifically, but it's just trying to make the point that you are the person is dear to God, and if you touch the person, you have literally touched um, something that God considers precious. It's not talking about specific eye or uh, as, as we humans perceive eye. So that's anthropomorphism. This is normally used with respect to God, and it's about the Bible speaking in terms of God in a way that we can relate and it's not for us to think of it as God being literally made of human parts that's the way we understand the human body okay so the next one or the last one which is what you've all been waiting for this is popular because we know the story of 1 Corinthians 14 now let me read 1 Corinthians 13 let me read it verse 1 to 3 if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love I'm only a resounding gong a clanging symbol if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love I am nothing and if I give all my all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is the this is, this is the story Paul tells to the church in Corinth, or an illustration point Paul makes to the church in Corinth. And this illustration Paul is making has led to the idea or the teaching that there is something called the gift of the tongues of angels or the tongues of angels and that there's a certain tongue of angels that we are supposed to be speaking now this passage is not talking about a certain tongues of angels that we should be speaking or another kind of tongues we are supposed to be speaking called the tongues of angels because sometimes people use this to explain the idea that there is a certain mysterious tongue that we are supposed to be speaking that is called the tongues of angels this is a literary device that paul is using or, or it's a style of speaking called a hyperbole where the person or the writer exaggerates to make a point so in this passage paul is trying to exaggerate a person's ability to speak by saying that if you can speak in all languages that is even human languages and angelic languages basically all languages and you don't have love it's of no value it's not the idea here is not that there is or you are supposed to be able to speak in all languages and all angelic languages in fact the point is that you can't that's the whole point of an exaggeration and the thing that he's saying you can is completely missing what he's trying to say he's exaggerating to make you see how impossible it is so to take it or to misunderstand it to mean there is something you have to a certain language called the tongue of angels you are supposed to be speaking is completely missing the point paul is making so now the proof of this is in the other verses because you see in the other verses he talks about if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge Again, no one can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Only God can. So again, he's exaggerating your ability to understand, to make you see that you can't, but to also make you see how love is because he's trying to, 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 to 
explain to us how important love is that if you could do all these impossible things and you didn't have love then it means nothing and he said if i give all my possession to the poor and i go away and i live in hardship and i surround my boots again he's setting a set very high bar that he knows no one can reach and just to make the point of what love is and if you could do all these very difficult and complex and impossible things and you can't and you don't have love then you have nothing so to misunderstand this to mean that there's actually a tongue of angels that we are supposed to be speaking is completely missing the point paul is making paul is trying to say the exact opposite that you can't speak in all languages no one can speak in all languages the point is making he's not saying there's a language of angels you're supposed to be speaking but the point is no one can speak in all languages and even if you could and you didn't have love it's useless so he's trying to expand or highlight through exaggeration the importance of love that's why understanding these different figures of speech and literary devices and writing styles it's important to our understanding of the text if you don't get these things you run the risk of misinterpreting what the writer is aiming at so these things are very important and a lot of people have, have developed whole doctrines and whole theologies around tongues of angels that we're supposed to be speaking in some tongues of angels but this is completely missing the very point that paul was trying to establish because we didn't understand what we're reading so this I left this for last because this is really drives home the point of why getting what the person is saying is important because if you miss it you can actually end up completely understanding what he is saying backwards like we most people have done with this particular passage that Paul uh, this, this particular passage of scripture that, the, the point that Paul was trying to make so it's important that we learn to take our time when we read the text and know that the bible utilizes all these writing styles there are so many of them um, metaphors uh, similes and so many of them that we need to take our time when we are reading to be able to know is this really a literal statement or this is um, some form of metaphor or something so that it helps with our understanding if we do that we will really in how we interpret scripture and how we evaluate truth from error. Once again, my name is J.K. Osei and thank you for joining me. I'll see you next week. This has been the 830 Podcast.